The opinions expressed on The Rob Report are the opinions of the host participating callers and or listener emails, text, and or letters, and are not necessarily the opinions of WDAY or Forum Communications. WDAY AM 93.1 FM. Happy to be with you as I always am. We uh, Ben is the producer today in our our stable, our rotating cast of producers. Today we got Ben. Ben, how you doing? Doing good, Rob. How are you? Good. I'm glad you're. I uh, hope your Wednesday's going well. Going pretty well so far. Same to you. Thank you. Uh, we uh, we got a good show. Um, we're going to spend the first hour with some open phones talking about, you know, we've, we've had obviously some more developments in the situation around Senator Heitkamp, that print ad, Senator Heitkamp, of course, on the show yesterday, which was kind of a big deal, given that for six years she's been, uh, you know, basically boycotting me, uh, you know, not, not responding, not responding to requests for inquiry or whatever. And I, I kind of feel like after yesterday's interview, we may be back to way, the way things were. Uh, because this morning, I, I sent a follow-up just asking a couple of questions. First of all, uh, the news was that they had uh, they had uh, fired a, a staffer over that now infamous uh, open letter print ad, which ended up re-victimizing a bunch of sexual assault victims. And in some instances, named as sexual assault victims, women who say they weren't victims at all. Um, they, they fired somebody, but they're not divulging the person's name. Uh, I also asked a, a Senator Heitkamp to, you know, or her, uh, or excuse me, her, her spokeswoman to, to maybe outline the process that they're going to go through in terms of, of finding out how this happened and bringing some accountability for it. Uh, and so far, I haven't received a response. So yesterday, they reached out to me when they were on their apology tour. They reached out to me, and they wanted to come on the show. And, of course, I was happy to have the senator on. And I think we had a very good interview, um, which, by the way, got a lot of national uh, media play. I mean, the, the interview was, was referenced in the New York Times, the Washington Post, NBC News. I mean, it was political. It was all over the place, um, which is good. And I think the reason why is it was a good interview, maybe illustrating to Senator Heitkamp why she should come on this show. Uh, but now I, I kind of feel like we're back to the battle days, and I, I have some things to say about, I think, the, their path forward, because I, I think Senator Heitkamp and her campaign are at a crossroads. I mean, they're in a bad spot, but they're at a crossroads, and they can make a decision here on how they're going to handle this um, that, that could have big implications for Election Day. So we'll talk about that. In, in the meantime, I want to hear what you think as well. What do you think of this situation? Has this made you more likely to vote for Senator Heitkamp, less likely to vote for Senator Heitkamp? Has it not changed you at all? What do you think of this situation, and what do you think this Heitkamp campaign ought to do? 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. I have some thoughts on that I'll share in a minute. Uh, coming up at 1 o'clock, Jeff Simon's going to be on. Now, Jeff, is uh, he's the chairman of a group called North Dakotans for Responsible Government. They have formed in opposition to Measure 1. That's the, um, I think they're calling it the anti-corruption measure, the ethics measure, a terrible piece of public policy. Jeff's going to be on uh, to give us an update about the campaign against that. Uh, also, uh, Congressman Kevin Kramer is going to be on the program, as he is every Wednesday, 
to uh, to take your calls, anything you want to talk about. And, boy, I, I think there's a lot to talk about in that race right now. Uh, we could uh, certainly take your calls, of course, at any time. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Um, all right, so here's here's what I think. First of all, as I, as I wrote in a post this morning, I, I, I think beyond politics and everything else aside, I think Senator Heitkamp, as a public servant, owes us an explanation for what happened, like a detailed explanation. How did this happen? Because there are a lot of open questions about how, and I, you know, I, I think the number now is is roughly either near or or more than two dozen. It's in the ballpark of two dozen women who were named in this ad without their permission. Um, now, Ben, I have heard, I have been talking with with some of these women. I, I have heard um, a lot of a lot of stories about what's going on. Um, one of these people now has felt like she has to move town because her location has been identified, and she is afraid that her uh, abusive uh, former uh, partner may know where she is. Um, I have heard a situation where where multiple women had friends and family find out about their sexual assault for the first time from this ad i'm not sure that that's something a lot of people are appreciating to this point is just how personal and damaging i mean this isn't just a little bit embarrassing right this isn't like oh they got named and and something embarrassing got exposed this is traumatizing this is a big big deal what happened and because of that, that's why I think the Height Camp campaign owes us an explanation. They owe us um, some facts about how this happened. Not least, as when, when the senator was on yesterday, Ben, one thing that she mentioned was that uh, they were working with victims' advocates who provided them with, with information on, on the list. Well, okay, first of all, victim advocates that work for nonprofit groups, are they... I mean, was that an appropriate relationship with it to, for, for them to be working with a political campaign? I think that's a fair question to ask. Was, were, was anybody's privacy rights violated? Their HIPAA rights? I have an email here from somebody. Um, a listener says, Rob, you should do some checking into Heidi Heitkamp and all the sexual assault victims' names she put out there being against Marzi's law. She should pull her name from the ballot for what she has done. Well, I don't think Senator Heitkamp is going to be pulling her name from the ballot. But, you know, there's a question. Yeah, I mean, were any laws violated? Would, right. Does Marzi's law apply? I don't know. How, what about what about uh, medical privacy laws, HIPAA laws? Were those violated? I, I don't know. And we're not going to know until we get some facts. And I would not be surprised at all if several of the victims took legal action. Well, they, they're, yeah. they're talking about that. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I had a post late last night. I was speaking with one of the women. Uh, they have formed... Um, you know, sort of a sort of an ad hoc group um, to you know explore possibly getting an attorney and seeing uh, seeing where they go with this, and uh, they should because they have been hurt, and if there's a legal remedy for them, they should pursue it. But I, I think right now Senator Heitkamp's at a crossroads because I think politically the expedient thing for them to do, Ben would be to, they, they fired a staffer now. They're not telling us who that person is. And by the way, I think it's important to name that person. You know, I, this is not the time to be uh, opaque with the public. 
I think if you want to be, if you want to bring some transparency to this, if you want to bring accountability to this, you got to name the person. You want them to be held responsible for their mistake. Yeah. yeah. So in this situation, uh, I, I think they've got a choice. I think what they'd like to do is, well, we fired the staffer. Now we're going to move on with the campaign, right? Heidi did her, her apology tour. They fired a staffer. Now they just want to move on. And I, I don't think they get to just do that. I, I realize we're in the middle of a, of a hotly contested um, a hotly contested Senate race. But too bad. They're the ones who created this situation. It's incumbent upon them to react to it appropriately. So I think that's what they would like to do. They've made the apology. They fired a staffer. I think they'd like that to be enough to move on. I think what the public needs to say, right, because the public has a choice to make here on the on the election, and the integrity of the candidates, the competence of the candidates, the dedication to transparency and accountability that the candidates have are important considerations when it comes to casting that vote. So I think that's what Senator Heitkamp has to show us. Now, are, are they just going to try to move on? Right? Are they just going to try to pivot? She she did her apology tour. She did the, um, they fired a staffer, and now that's it. We're just going to move on. Or are they going to be accountable? Or are they going to tell us how did this happen? Are they going to give us details? How did these women's name end up in an ad? Because I tell you, I talked to these women. They don't know. They have some guesses, but they don't know. Shouldn't at the very least they get to know what happened? I think we should all get to know. It's that that's the choice between the height for, for the height camp campaign. They can either, you know, try to just brush this off and move forward, which I think, again, is what they would prefer to do and stop talking about it. Or Senator height camp can mean what she said yesterday and hold herself accountable. And, and have a thorough process that ends with us getting a lot of details about what happened and a lot of specifics about how this happened. What do you think? 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. What should the Heitkamp campaign do now? John, you're on. What's up? Well, I guess for myself, at least Heidi Heitkamp is being somewhat accountable for than a lot of Democrat and Republican legislators. Um, so I, I guess... I mean, to me, I can't put myself in the situation of these ladies or anything, but I give her credit for doing what she's done, and realistically, that staffer that got fired should turn around and come up and say, well, you know, it's my fault, blah, 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 but, you know, holding Heidi, you know, responsible for this, yes, the buck stops there. But if you're going to jump on Heidi for all of this, by God, there's a whole list of politicians that have done way worse that haven't been accountable for it. So that's well, really all I got to say. Okay. That's well, I I, I, th- I think that's fair, John. Um, but here's the thing, and here here's where I would I would push back just a little bit on your point, is. She's got to mean what she said yesterday. I mean, yesterday, you're right. She owned it. She did great yesterday. But you've got to back that up with action, too. She doesn't get to just say it and then move on. If she wants to be accountable for this, she does need to be accountable for this. And it doesn't all the other slimy things that every other politician in the world has ever done is irrelevant to this situation. 
Because this isn't about every other politician. This is about Senator Heitkamp and how she is going to handle, as the candidate, a situation that her campaign created. Does that make sense? Yeah, but it really would be interesting, this list. You know, there was some sort of a list, and, you know, some of those people weren't even molested or however it was. Right. Who put that list together? I don't know. That's what I would like answers for, John. And I, yeah. I'm real, and the only people who can answer that is is the High Camp campaign. That's exactly right. Yeah, John, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. Email talk at wday dot com. Then I tell you what, let's take a break, and then we'll take Tom because I don't want to cut Tom off because we run out of time. So Tom, hold through the break. We'll come right back. This is the Rob Report. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back, Rob Port 970, WDAY AM 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. What do you think the Heitkamp campaign ought to do now? Because I, I think they're, they're at a decision point. Yesterday, Senator Heitkamp did her apology tour, right? The news, I broke the news, uh, well, I'll tell you what, Ben, it was the wee hours of the morning. I worked kind of late on that one. So the wee hours of yesterday morning, I broke the news. Uh, Senator Heitkamp goes on her apology tour on all the talk radio shows across the state, um, including this one. So first time she's ever um, talked to me. Um, she comes on this show. Now, um, then like, last night, they fired a staffer. Won't tell us who that is. Uh, and now today, what's next? Because yesterday, Senator Heitkamp was all about, I own this. Right? Those are words that she said. I own this. I'm accountable for this. The buck stops with me. Okay, fine. What are you doing about it? Where are we going to get the answers for why this happened? Because firing a, an unnamed staffer is not enough. It's not enough because it doesn't tell us how this happened. Lots of other questions that need to be answered about this. What do you think got to be done? 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Caller, Tom, you're on. What do you uh, Rob Port, the Chris Hayes of AM Talk Radio in Fargo, North Dakota. Anyway, uh, who is Chris? Who's Chris well, Hayes? What she needs, to, <laughs> what she, uh, you know, it's really early in this, and of course, firing up somebody seems to be appropriate at this time. But I mean, that's just the reaction you need to do, and I'm sure that every campaign would have the kind of like same reaction whether or not there's any kind of guilt, but there is something here that's not right. Uh, people are saying that they're unjustly being uh, uh, exposed to the public. Now, now that depends on a lot of things. Now, how do these people end up on this list of people that said they were, you know, part of this list? And if they were, did they have any written statements that was it uh, – was it uh, legally qualified and they made statements that were legally sent or are they just uh, just kind of like oh hema and this that you know what's up what are you, what are you talking about right now i have lost here's the question I, okay yeah. i've lost the thread on where you're going but what what's your question well okay okay the people that are saying that they were uh, they're being harmed by uh, saying that, yeah, we didn't want to need to be exposed to this, and they're saying that it was uh, important to them. How did they end up on this list in the first place? I mean, obviously, uh, I mean, Heidi is on the top of the list. Yes, I'm going to okay this, 
and it was probably like a blanket statement with a lot of things with their campaign and everything going on. Do you but have a question, Tom? You look I, at- I don't. Because I mean, uh, you're 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 constructing things in your mind. I, I don't know where you're going with this. What's what's your question? My question. My question is, okay, well, well, how in the heck do you um, construct her into being the evil person who's doing this thing? When she said yesterday, are, she's accountable. She says she owns this. Yesterday, that's the senator well, herself in her own words. Of course, she's saying that she, she, any candidate that's running, they're always. So you say, so you say she's not really responsible for, for what her campaign when they, does? As soon as they walk into something like this, they're going to say they're accountable. It's the only thing they got to do. And, and later on, they might be cleared of everything, but that will be after the election. Well, all the all the more so reason, it Tom, to me, like it could be. Like an infiltration, a Trojan horse into something like, <laughs> oh, we gave our information into, and now we're all right. So, so now we've worked around. Now, now we've now we've that. All right, cut Tom off. That, you know, like wow. So now we've worked around Republican infiltrators. Yep. Apparently. Is is or to blame? Listen, all, all the more. If you think that that that's, uh, and I would fully believe if if we if you wanted to, if somebody told me that the scenario was, um, High Camp's campaign was sitting around in a meeting saying, "Hey, what what are the things that we should do?" And somebody said, "Hey, we should run an ad that's an open letter to Kramer signed by a bunch of sexual assault victims criticizing his comments." I could imagine that Senator High Camp signed off on that idea, and said, "Go do it," and trusted her staff to handle it. And they screwed it up. I, I would believe that's a totally believable scenario to me. Um, now, that doesn't make Senator Heitkamp any less responsible for the things that her campaign does. No, because it's her campaign at the end it's of the day. It's still her campaign. Yeah. And she said yesterday, she owns it. And yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, what, what Tom was trying to say was, oh, yeah, that's just a thing politicians say. Well, yeah, they should. They say it because it's the right thing to say. But in addition to saying it, they should also mean it. Right? So, Senator, when she says that she owns it, I, she should mean it. So how do you think she should act to like show that she means it? I think I think we should know who the staffer was because here's a here's an interesting question I just got from a listener. Was it campaign staff or official staff? Was there crossover of information happening? So here's one thing that happens a lot where um a lot of times members of Congress will have members of their official staff also work as their campaign staff. Now you can't have somebody working on the taxpayer dime work for your political campaign. So what they do is they pay them like, like the, the, you know, half the time they get paid to be official staff and then like half the time to be paid campaign staff. It's a thing members of Congress do. Now, does Senator Heitkamp do that? I don't know. I haven't looked at the record specifically. I can't tell you off the top of my head, but I don't know. It's a fair question to ask. Was there cross-pollination of information between Senator Heitkamp's official staff and, and, and campaign staff? Important question. Worth asking. Worth understanding. You know, again, if Senator Heitkamp wants to take this seriously, right, if she wants to own it, we got to know who that staffer was. Oh, and by the way, did they, did, they, did they can some intern who maybe really didn't have anything to do with it in order to protect somebody higher up in her staff? That's a fair question to ask as well. If Senator Heitkamp says she's going to own it, she should mean it. All right, I got emails stacking up. We'll get to those. Plus your phone calls, 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Don't go away. Welcome back. We're on Port 970, WDAY AM 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Talking about the uh, situation with Senator Heitkamp's print ad. What do you think that the Heitkamp 
campaign ought to do now. I think what they like to do, what would be politically expedient for them to do, is just move on. Right? Heidi did her apology tour. They fired some unnamed staffer. Now move on. Uh, I think, I think though that if, I think that's the politically expedient thing. Or maybe it's not the politically expedient thing. I, I think a I, lot of people be questioning I don't think they why can they're move just, on. Yeah. I, I don't think they can. But I think that's what they'd like to do. But I think if Senator Heitkamp meant what she said yesterday, that she owns this, that she's responsible for this, then I think the responsible thing to do is to be completely transparent with the public about what's going on. Do an investigation and, and do it quickly and tell us what happened. Right? I, I think that's what's got to happen. Um, what do you think? 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Uh, Trevor asks via Twitter, uh, listening to the radio show, do you think Kylie is uh is the one Heidi is protecting um and and uh, he's referring to uh, Kylie Overson who is the uh, democratic candidate for tax commissioner this cycle also the uh the, the chairwoman of the democratic party a lot of people have been saying because she was there were there were social media messages out there where she was collecting names for this um but no i i don't think overson is is the one in fact i don't think overson had had anything to do with the the names, based on all the evidence I've seen so far, I don't think she had anything to do with the names that were um, misused. Uh, if, if you, if my understanding is, I have looked, you know, spoken to the women who were named, as I have reviewed all the, you know, a ton of the social media messages and everything, there were a lot of people collecting names for that list. And my understanding is, is the women who were misnamed. Their feeling, and they don't know this for sure, but their feeling is that they all had a common acquaintance who had tagged them in a Facebook thread where that Facebook thread was a place where they were soliciting names for the list. And so what they think may have happened is somebody just copy and pasted their names off of that Facebook list uh, or Facebook thread um, and, and assumed that because they were tagged in it that they wanted to be part of the letter. That's what they think happened. Now, is that really what happened? I don't know. The answers for that have to come from the Heitkamp Camp campaign, right? I mean, th- th- they're the ones who can provide that answer, and they're the ones who should provide that answer. 701-293-9000, email talk at wdy.com. i got to get to some of these emails. Roger emails. He goes, interesting, the liberal talk show host barely mentioned it on their shows. Uh, they are doing their best to sweep this under the rug. Yeah, I mean, if I imagine that it's hard. I, I like to think that I'm somebody, I will be critical of Republicans when I feel like they deserve it. Um, but if you're in this business as somebody who's a bit of a flack, uh, somebody who's out there to just defend your people at all costs. And listen, I mean, sometimes you do have to defend. I mean, sometimes there is a counter argument to articulate. And there's nothing wrong with articulating a counter argument in a situation like this. The thing is, this situation, I don't know that there's a defense. In fact, I think Senator Heitkamp herself said this is indefensible. There's no defense for this, right? Something wrong, something undeniably, something unequivocally wrong has happened. Which is why I, I'm saying the thing that has to happen now is there has to be a process by which we identify how it is that these names got divulged. You know, and I, I think that's a fair question to ask. Uh, did the names come from Senator Heitkamp's official office's work with sexual? I know, I know Senator Heitkamp has done a lot of work on, on, for instance, human trafficking 
is one policy area. She's done a lot of work on domestic violence policy, the Violence Against Women Act. I mean, she's done a lot of this. I would imagine that during the course of that, she's probably heard from a lot of sexual assault survivors. Did the names come from some of that work? I don't know. Yesterday, Senator Heitkamp said on the show that she has uh, that they were working with advocacy groups on this. Did advocacy groups provide the names inappropriately? And if so, maybe there needs to be some accountability for one of those advocacy groups that obviously are sharing personal information of sexual assault survivors in an inappropriate way. There's a mountain of questions here that have to be answered. Roger emails, uh, what is really... What is really wrong with what happened here is Heitkamp said they got the names from sexual assault advocates. First off, why would these sexual assault advocates even consider sharing these names? And how will this affect future assault victims to even seek out help knowing that their information could become public? Shame on her. Yeah. Good points. And again, I I keep talking about the sexual assault advocates. That's what Senator Heitkamp said on the show yesterday, that they were working with those people. Well, okay, well, who were you working with? How did they get the names? Why did nobody contact the names of the women, the, the women directly to say, listen, do you want to be made public? I'm still wondering how they got the names of the women who say they're not even victims of assault. Like, yeah, how how did those names even get on there? Yeah. Yeah. One of, in fact, I think the very first woman to post online, the very first person I spoke to about this said that she's not a victim. How did her name end up on the list? Which makes me think that they were just sort of wholesale grabbing names just just wholesale grabbing names from Facebook. Um, and and they just they just ended up grabbing up, hoovering up some people who, who shouldn't have been there. Uh, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329, email talk at WDAY.com. Brad emails, Rob, I find it hard to believe Heitkamp didn't know about an ad with her name on it. If this is so, it has to be someone high up in an organization who can place ads for her campaign. I, I think that's right. If Senator Heitkamp... Didn't sign, and I think yesterday she said specifically she didn't herself sign off on the ad. There's nothing necessarily wrong with Senator Heitkamp delegating that sort of thing to her staff, right? I mean, that's why they have staff. So if you have like a trusted campaign manager or staffer, communications, right, whoever it is, you know, you trust them enough to maybe sign off on an ad like this, which makes it, to me, it makes it all the more curious. They're not telling us who the employee is who they fired. Are they protecting somebody higher up? I think it's a fair question to ask. Caller, Todd, you're on. What's up? Hey, Rob, i got a couple of points for you. Yeah. Uh, you, you asked in the future what these uh, victims of sexual assault can do to make sure nothing like this happens. I think that can be summed up in two words. Marcy's law. I mean, you, you can't even find out in Mandan who the kid was that got shot or who's a police officer who's a public employee who shot the officer because they're both uh, uh, invoking the Marcy's Law deal. So you just have to simply say Marcy's Law, and then your name doesn't become public, correct? Well, yeah. Well, I, and, and, well, that's part of I mean, there's a whole other show that we could do about Marcy's Law, wherein, yeah. well, uh, you, you know, you it's... It, question, so I'm just throwing yeah. that out there. No, I mean, now it's... it's not, Marcy, not Marcy's not Law is a... thing that I have to say about sure. Heidi, and I listened to her yesterday on your show, and I thought it was... Uh, I, thought it, I thought it was appropriate that she come on, and I thought you did a great job interviewing her. Thank you. But the one thing that I will say about Heidi in coming on, and I think she was very sincere in her apology, and accepting so. the fact that it went wrong, as opposed to the person 
that Kevin Kramer says he's adhered to 100%. Mr. Donald Trump, what happened to Donald Trump after he was exposed on the Access Hollywood tape of grabbing women in the crotch and saying that if you're sexy and famous, you can have sex with married women, it doesn't matter. The first thing he said was locker room talk. He didn't come out and say locker room talk one bit. And I, I give her credit for that. Yeah. Whereas uh, I don't I'm not Donald sure that Trump we can. And, and Kevin yeah, Kramer I mean, I... advocates to support Donald Trump almost 100 percent of the time credit for what he said after he well, was caught. Well, nor yeah, do see, I here's... give Donald Trump any credit yesterday for when he uh, uh, talked to uh, Stormy Daniels, no matter what she is. Yeah, I don't think you need to be coming and calling somebody horse face. Yeah. Oh, so so here's here's my, my response. Now, first of all, I'll tell you, the Access Hollywood thing is what was the straw that broke the camel's back for me. It's why I ended up not voting for Trump. Now, a bunch of the women in my life ended up voting for him. So I don't know what kind of an idiot white knight I was trying to be. But I, that's I, I guess that that is what it is. I will draw a distinction. There is a difference between President Trump's crass, coarse language and his his choice to insult women and and men, frankly, uh, to me, there's a difference between that and exposing the identity of sexual assault survivors and putting them at risk. Some of these women are at risk, Todd. I mean, some of these women have, have, have said, I may need to move out of the community that I'm currently living in because the person that I'm in danger from could find me again. That's how they're feeling right now. To compare that to President Trump saying something admittedly disgusting but was ultimately a joke. I don't think those two things are comparable. Thanks for the yeah, call, and, Todd. Seven, and there, and there oh, could be some uh, validity. Okay, fair enough. Thanks for the call, Todd. Uh, 701 Email talk at WDAY.com. Caller, Casey, you're on. What's up? Hey, Rob. You know, uh, Heitkamp's apology on your show was about as sincere to me as the CEO of BP after his oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico. I mean, she she was just going around apologizing because she had to, because she made a big screw up and she had to apologize. But uh, my my other thought on the whole thing, Rob, is that this was a newspaper ad. Most of these victims were probably I, I don't know. Would you say that they were millennials? I mean, young younger women. Uh, you know, I no, uh, not all of. I mean, not I. When, when I looked, at, I mean, I recognize a lot of names from from the list that was published, and uh, you know, I, I would say it's a it's a pretty broad spectrum. Um, the the women who were misnamed, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of them are younger, but I, I think that gets back to the theory they're telling me where they all had a common acquaintance, and somehow they got tagged in a Facebook thread. I think they're all about the same age because they all are kind of in the same. I want to say social circle. And and they all got tagged and they all got caught up and I, I that that's one theory that's floating around for how this happened and and that um, I think would maybe put them all in the same age but I don't I don't know that the age really matters one way or the other. Okay, well I guess I my my thought and theory on it is uh, you know I'm I'm 35 years old and I don't read a lot of newspaper unless you know unless it's something in there that I wanted wanted the article for. But uh, most of my news either comes from television, radio, or social media, All because right. that's where a lot of the news is. So if this ad was a newspaper-only run ad, I'm guessing that the Hike Camp campaign thought, well, none of these people will see it because you know the majority of people in that, in no, that uh, I don't, I don't know, seven to twenty don't read the no. newspaper. 
I don't. I, I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna push back at that a little bit, Casey. Well, first of all, um, you know, they were absolutely gonna push this because what they do is they put it in print, but then they use the fact that it's in print as you know, sort of a platform to push it out. You know, on tweets, on Facebook posts, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it wasn't just that, but but also. I do think that Senator Heitkamp's apology yesterday was sincere. As much as I disagree with Senator Heitkamp's policies, she's not a monster. I think that she pursues the policies that she does because she genuinely does want to do right by people. Now, I just think they're the wrong policies. But I would never for a minute think that that she would honestly want to endanger sexual assault victims because i think she legitimately cares for them so insofar as she was apologizing for that and insofar that she was emotional over that uh, as i said during the interview yesterday i believe her i think she really was emotional i think she really does care about this i think she really is personally hurt that this happened i believe that now how she handles this situation going forward that's going to be telling casey thanks for the call 701-293-9000-888-970-9329 email talk at wday.com well i got a ton of emails to get to we'll be right back don't go away welcome back we're at port 970 wdy am 93.1 fm Dwayne emails, he goes, love your show, agree 90% of the time, but you've been mailing in your effort on the bumper music. That's on me. No, well, I think you're playing from my playlist. We we yeah. do we do need to refresh the uh, the bumper music playlist. Maybe I should solicit. We've had some success with this in the past. Uh, if people want to solicit, uh, shoot me a tweet on Twitter, at Rob Port. If you got suggestions for bumper music, or uh, you can, I suppose you can email me too, Rob at SayAnythingBlog.com. Um, yeah, should we see your suggestions? You know, we, we do need to refresh the bump list. Uh, let's see. Jason emails, uh, if the list came from a Facebook thread, the worst thing I could see happening is something akin to slander because she widely publicized it. But if they got it from Facebook, that thread itself is pretty much public record. How much could Heidi be held accountable for incorrectly publicizing something in the public record? Well, I, I don't know that it would be slander. I suppose it could be something along the line. I'm not, I'm not a lawyer. I, I don't even want to. Uh, it, it could be problematic for the people who aren't sexual assault victims that she characterizes sexual assault victims. Now, if they did something to, um, if they did something to, you know, incorrectly characterize somebody, then that could be problematic. But what these women are saying is that they, they never like opted into this. Right. Their names got tagged by a third party in a Facebook thread is is the story under that scenario. Now, I don't know if that's really how it happened or not. This is why we need answers from the high cap campaign. But if, if from my discussions with the women, that's kind of what they're assuming is that their names were scooped off a Facebook thread, but not necessarily one that they were participating in, one that they were tagged in by a third party. So that's where I think what Jason is saying is, well, if these women were talking about their experiences on Facebook and then Senator Heitkamp just widely publicized something that they themselves had disclosed, well, then, okay, he may be right. The thing is, I don't know that necessarily these women disclosed anything. I think their names got scooped up uh, and people assumed, and and that's what's problematic. I'm not an attorney, but I I will tell you, it's hard because we're all just speculating. I don't know what happened. Uh, that's why I think Senator Heitkamp's campaign's got to tell us what happened. How did this happen? Where did these names come from? Kurt says, I can see a group of victims coming together and producing a letter like this, but for a senator to solicit victims for political gain is immoral and wrong. 
another emailer got uh, blaming Heidi for apologizing and the millennials. I'm no Heidi fan, but that caller's an idiot. I don't think the caller's an idiot. I didn't agree with this point, though. All right, we're going to go. Uh, we'll come back. Hey, we're going to talk measure one. Jeff Simon's going to be on. He's from uh, North Dakotans for Stable Government. Uh, he'll be on. He's going to be uh, making the anti-case against Measure 1. We'll be back after this. So go away. Welcome back. We're on Port 970, WDAYM 93.1 FM, Hour 2. So we're going to talk about Measure 1, which I, I, I think uh, the thing that scares me about Measure 1 is that people aren't going to take the time to understand what it actually is. Because I think there's a lot of very superficial things that are being said about it. It's anti-corruption. It's pro-ethics. We're going to hold lobbyists accountable. We're going to stick it to those nasty, corrupt politicians. A lot of rhetoric like that. Not understanding that there's a reason why the ACLU of all organizations has come out against it. They're pointing out, among numerous other problems, that Measure 1 is an affront to our speech um here to talk with me about that is jeff simon jeff is a uh, the chairman of north dakotans for sensible government uh jeff how are you i'm good rob thanks for having me on so uh, we again we're here are, are you are you worried like i am that people are going to misunderstand this measure i'm worried that a lot of people are going to go to the ballot box they're going to look at their ballots they're going to say uh, oh it's uh it's an anti-corruption amendment great I, i'm i'm against corruption as well i will vote for this i'm afraid a lot of people are going to are do that not understanding that they are voting to make engagement in the political process much more complicated and much more difficult for the average citizen well, we are we are obviously concerned about that. Um, you know, I've had I've had a number of different people tell me, and others have said that they've read through this thing, and you know, they look at some of the, the provisions and they think, "Geez, what's so bad about this?" But then, when you when you really examine the details, and particularly, I'm talking about Section 1.2 of the measure, which requires disclosure of quote the ultimate and true source of funds of anyone who spends more than two hundred dollars in the process of attempting to influence state government action. Those are extraordinarily broad terms, both of them, both the source of the funding and describing political activity. Influencing state government action, that, that affects not just the legislative process, not just the regulatory bodies, every board and commission, even those entities that have small contracts, public-private partnerships with state government, um, those are influencing state government action. That's why you see the North Dakota Catholic Conference and other religious groups getting engaged here, because they provide private social services in partnership with the state you know, adoption services and, and guardianship programs and refugee resettlement and, you know, uh, foster care, some of these kinds of programs, they're, they're partnerships. Well, suddenly a religious group is supposed to, what, report its parishioners and, and the amount of money they put in the collection plate? That's, that's how sweeping this language is. Now, what one thing that I've heard recently is the the pro measure one people. They call themselves the North Codes for Public Integrity. They have been complaining about the money given towards your cause, towards opposing their measure. You know, they they put that out recently, and they had a, they had a list of of a lot of organizations in our state. Um, some of them industrial organizations, some of them business groups, and 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 down the list. But basically, I mean, a lot of different a lot of different organizations representing a lot of different interests that in turn represent a whole heck of a lot of us. But they're saying, oh, oh, look, look at this list of, of big donors. Uh, this is just the big money people uh, trying to avoid accountability. How do you respond to that? Well, you know, a few of those companies do have uh, headquarters out of state, but I guarantee you every every company on that list invests 
a lot of money in North Dakota, some of them millions. And if you're talking about the uh, energy sector, probably billions of dollars have been invested in North Dakota. They employ North Dakotans, and they pay a lot of taxes here. So I think it's right that those organizations should have some voice in the policymaking process in North Dakota. That's why they're engaged on this thing. And furthermore, it takes a little bit of audacity for this group to point fingers at us when you know the lion's share of their money, more than 90 percent of the money that put this measure on the ballot came from out-of-state interests, Hollywood actors that gave money to represent us, I mean, East Coast elitists. Most of these people that gave money to put this thing on the ballot in the first place have never set foot in North Dakota. Why do they care what happens here? This this would just throw a big old wrench in the works here. I think they're just trying to, I don't know, undermine the, the good policymaking process that we have. I, it's hard to understand the motivation. We do have a good, open, honest, transparent process with a lot of disclosure already. We don't need this. I, I did think that that took some chutzpah to, uh, to be complaining about the donations on your side of the aisle, which, which again... You know, I, I don't see anything wrong with that. And I want to ask a question about that in a moment. But then on their side, they have a laundry list of Hollywood celebrities who are dumping money. I mean, they basically uh, – I, I, I think I think it, it, shortly after they were approved for the ballot, the latest disclosures at that point – and I haven't looked at the most recent disclosures, but the latest disclosures at that point, they had like less than $1,000 come inside from North Dakota. And yet they had paid a quarter of a million dollars – to a professional signature collecting group to collect signatures to put their issue on the ballot. And that money came from Hollywood. So Hollywood bought this amendment onto the ballot, and now they're complaining about the influence of out-of-state money in North Dakota politics. That is amazing to me, Jeff, that, that they get away with that. You know, you know what's, what's even more remarkable about this, Rob? We have, we obviously, I mentioned, have disclosure laws on, on the, the books right now in North Dakota. Ballot issue disclosure is one of them. Which could be improved, by the way. I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't support Measure One, but those, I, I do feel like those laws could be improved and expanded. Well, here's here's the thing, though. This this measure would uh, require disclosure of contributions more than two hundred dollars to ballot measure committees. Okay, on the books right now, we have a limit of one hundred dollars. Anything over one hundred, they would actually weaken our current disclosure law. And our, our current law has a provision that says groups like represent us, those outside interest groups that put money into a ballot measure. They have to disclose their individual donors in North Dakota. That's how we know that the Hollywood celebrities are here. It has to, they have to disclose that and their employer and their employer's address. You know, and of course, a lot of these are Wilshire Boulevard in Beverly Hills, California. That's, that's where the money came from. Uh, you know, that's the other really kind of insidious part of this ballot, uh, this measure. There are at least five things in the measure that you know, they all sound good. But you know why? Because they are good. We already have them on the book, on the books in North Dakota. They're already state law. You know, things like the, the ballot issue disclosure, candidate disclosure, ban on foreign contributions, um, conflict of interest rules, and, you know, a provision that says candidates can't use contributions for their own personal benefit. All that's already in state law. We don't need this thing. Right. And and, and I think it's important to remember, we could, we could, we could believe – that the statutes already on the law addressing things like accountability and transparency and ethics, we can we can believe that those things should be improved, while also understanding that Measure One is is terrible terrible public policy, that would have horrendous implications for um for 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 the average citizen wanting to engage in politics. Now I, I, this was really interesting to me, Jeff, because an argument that that I made months ago in a in a column uh and then that was echoed by the ACLU when they came out and and opposed 
the ad, is that there's no exemption for private citizens in this when it comes to reporting requirements for money spent to influence government policy or to influence politics. There's no exceptions for anybody. There's no exceptions for you as an individual citizen. So if you spend, uh, you know, 200 bucks of your own money to put up a sign uh, along the highway on your property to uh, to advocate for a ballot measure or for a candidate or for a political party or what have you, uh, you know, you would have to report that to the government. Like you'd have to file some sort of a form and report it to the government. And me as a member of the media, you know, obviously I'm in the business of influencing politics. There's no exemption from me, and I can tell you, we spend more than 200 bucks uh, in in producing my content. So. That's a problem. There's no exemptions for anybody there. Now, I was reading a Bismarck Tribune article recently, and Ellen Chafee, who was one of the organizers of the measure, she said, oh, that's silly. We're all making assumptions about how the legislature will uh, will implement this. I trust that the legislators will do an appropriate job. So two things. First of all, I don't want to just rely on the forbearance of lawmakers. Second of all, Reading the, 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 the language of the constitutional amendment, I don't think the legislators even have the latitude that she's giving to them because the amendment, the constitutional say what it says. If this thing passes, the legislators have to be, you know, have, have to follow that. Uh, and third, she's asking us to trust the very people that she says are so corrupt. We need this amendment in the first place. This argument makes no sense, Jeff. Absolutely not. Um, you know, for, for starters, um, you know the legislature can only do what the what the words say, and obviously, if this ever goes to you know should happen to pass and goes to court, you know there is no considering what the intent of this thing is. The words have meaning, and they're in the Constitution. If this thing passes, you can't change them. The legislature can't fix that. The only way you change it is to go to a ballot issue, and and even worse than that, you know, Ellen fails to acknowledge that this measure actually says the legislature can't fix it. It contains the words, and I'll quote them: Section four point one says the legislature may pass laws that would be enacted to facilitate, safeguard, or expand the measure, but, quote, not to hamper, restrict, or impair this article. The legislature can't put its arms around this thing. They can't ratchet it down. So those words that require disclosure, as you describe, private citizens, churches, religious groups, the news media, those words would go into effect in our Constitution, and the legislature would have no choice but to enact laws to implement them. Uh, we have a question from a listener. Sean asks, if Measure 1 passes, how how might it be declared un- unconstitutional by a federal court? And it's an interesting question because when I had the ACLU on about their opposition to this, I asked them that question. You know, if, if this passes, are you folks going to consider litigation? Now, obviously, they'll make that decision after Election Day, uh, but that's very much on the table for the ACLU. Well, and, you know, I mean, here's another thing about the measure. It can't be challenged on state constitutional grounds because if you look at the very last sentence of it, it says that this this basically is a supremacy clause. It says if it conflicts with any other part of the Constitution, this this prevails. So, I mean, the provisions of this article shall control. So the right to free speech that's provided in our state constitution, well, would be overridden. So it would have to be challenged, as you say, in federal district court. And that could be a could be an expensive process, um, you know, and, and for what? I mean, would people knowingly go to the ballot and, uh, you know, require the state to, to defend this thing when it, it's so outrageous? And then it has a severability clause. So the other silly things in here, this ethics commission, we haven't talked about that. What is this thing anyway, a fourth branch of government? 
the state auditor, Josh Gallion, has come out opposed to this thing. He said, what this ethics commission does, look into fraud, abuse, corruption, that's what I do. That's my job. This thing could conflict with that. It could overlap my responsibilities and, you know, cost the taxpayers millions. It just says it's going to be adequately funded. Well, what, what does that mean? Are they going to have a staff of investigators and more auditors, just like our state auditor does? Again, it sets its own parameters. The, the Ethics Commission would have the power to write its own rules, its own laws, and the an legislature ethics, couldn't control it. An Ethics Commission made up of political appointees, by the way. I mean, they political would be, appointees. you know, they, they would be appointed to there. And, you know, I mean, maybe we could trust that a, that a, given, uh, a given leader is going to make the right appointments and appoint good people. We could also get somebody in who appoints a bunch of political hacks who are more than willing to take anonymous reports of supposed ethical wrongdoing or, or supposed malfeasance uh, and turn it into a, into a witch hunt or, or a political weapon. Um, this, is, this is a terrible, terrible thing. And as far as ethics commissions goes, I'd like to know which, which government, I mean, where, where, is the, where is the correlation between more ethical government and ethics commissions? Because North Dakota doesn't have an ethics commission. I feel like we do pretty good. Uh, Washington, D.C. has all sorts of oversight committees and ethics committees and everything else, and they're awful. Chicago has all sorts of ethics commissions and oversight committees. They're awful. New Jersey has all sorts of ethics commissions and oversight committees. They're awful. So where, where is, where's the evidence that creating an ethics commission is in turn going to make us more ethical? Because I think what it's going to do is it's going to, it's going to turn into a political weapon, Jeff. Oh, you're absolutely right. I mean, excellent point. I mean, these other states, uh, and, you know, and maybe that's that's what the Hollywood elite uh, who put this thing on the ballot think. You know, you got to have an ethics commission to keep people in line. They don't understand. You know, North Dakotans are basically pretty honest people. We got a part-time legislator. This is a citizen legislature. These people are—they're not in it for the money. They're in there to do the right thing for their for their constituents. We have uh, transparency, disclosure laws, lobbyists register and report their expenses. We have a good policy-making process. And, you know, outsiders just can't seem to understand that that's the North Dakota way. It works pretty doggone well here. And, I mean, I say vote no. We don't need to screw this up. We don't need this measure. I, I agree. Uh, Jeff, uh, last question. Where, where can people go to find out more information about your side of this? We have a website, uh, ndmeasure1, that's the number one, ndmeasure1.com. And you can also look us up on Facebook, North Dakotans for Sound Government. Um, and we do have a growing list of coalition members. I just heard today that the North Dakota Association of Realtors has joined the group. We heard this week the Farm Bureau joined. Last week, the North Dakota Association of Rural Electric Cooperatives is in it. As you mentioned, the ACLU, we've got more than three dozen uh, substantial organizations that are part of the coalition urging everyone, vote no on Measure 1. Jeff, thanks for your time. Thank you, Rob. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be right back after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. We're on Port 970, WDAY AM 93.1 FM. Someone called in and said, if Measure 1 is what we were just talking about with Jeff Simon for North Dakotans for, um, what was the name of this group again? It's always North Dakotans for, is it North Dakotans for North Dakotans sensible for government. sound government. Sound government? Sound government. Sound government. I thought yes. sensible government. All right. I'm all over the map with their group name. Um, anyway, uh, but their measure one, that's the ethics committee measure. And then the caller said, well, measure three is recreational marijuana. What's measure two? Uh, I, I'll, run, I'll run down. We have four measures on the statewide ballot. Measure one is the ethics measure, the anti-corruption, whatever you want to call it. Um, measure two is uh, the uh, 
non-citizen voting. It, it, it basically, currently under North Dakota statute, it's illegal for non-citizens to vote. We have language pertaining to that in our Constitution as well. But it's a little bit vague, and so the amendment is about fixing that language so it's not so vague. So anyway, that's measure two. Uh, measure three is recreational marijuana. Measure four is uh, free license plates for volunteer first responders. So like volunteer firefighters and stuff, uh, they would get they would get a special class of license plate. I think it would be red, uh, and the idea is the license plate would a it be it'd be free. Um, for the first responders, so that's obviously a benefit for them. Uh, the license plate would also entitle them for free access to our state parks, so that's another benefit for them. Uh, and then the idea is the red license plate would uh, would also, if they're you know on their way uh, re- responding to an emergency, now they they're not allowed to break traffic laws or anything when they're responding uh, in their personal vehicles, but um, the license plate might you know indicate you know that that they're a first responder vehicle and and be useful in identifying them that's that's the idea behind that measure that's measure four uh seven oh one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine email talk at wday.com uh emailer asks uh, oh going back to the uh, situation with senator heitkamp uh and that that now infamous print ad uh senator heitkamp says rob doesn't heidi have enough campaign money to pay all the women off well first of all i'm not sure that that would be, I mean, the, the FEC governs how you spend your campaign money. And I'm not sure that that, that would be a, a lawful purpose. Of, even if she were inclined to do that, I'm not sure that that would be a lawful purpose. Although, I, I, I wonder where the money would come if these, because the, the women are, are talking about litigating. I mean, they're talking about suing. I don't know what that sort of a suit would look like. But, you know, assuming that they they were you know file one and were successful and got awarded damages or something i wonder where that money would come from well and who would that would come be ag- from the campaign yeah who would it be against heidi her campaign the person who gathered the names i, I, I don't know I where suppose. that goes i guess i don't i don't know I, I don't know what the answer to that is but as far as just paying the women off like just giving them money i guess to to whatever um I don't think that that would be a lawful use of FEC guidelines are arcane and difficult to understand. Um, but my understanding, I, I don't think that they could just do that. I, I think that would be complicated. And, and nor, nor do I think the optics of that would be very good. Like, you're just complaining. And also, like, just giving these women money, do you think that does that make them feel less safe? Does that make them feel less humiliated and embarrassed? Uh, I, I don't think so. I mean, there's there's been a bell that's been rung here that cannot be unrung. You know, there's no putting this toothpaste back in the tube. Uh, all right, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. Congressman Kevin Kramer joins me next. It's his open phone segment. You can call in. You can ask him whatever you want. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back around 4970, WDAY AM 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329, talk at WDAY.com. Uh, all right, we have uh, Congressman Kevin Kramer's open phone segment. Congressman's on the line. Kevin, how are you? I'm well, thanks, Rob. How are you? Pretty good. Well, it's been an eventful week. We have questions lined up on email and, and some callers, but before we get sure. to them, I, I, I normally I defer immediately to them, but it's been an eventful week. 
And I, I, I just, I, I had a question for you first and foremost. I mean, you're obviously familiar with everything that's been going on with Senator Heitkamp and the printout yes. and everything. Um, I think we're all watching to see. I mean, yesterday she was very apologetic for it. I think we're watching to see what she's done next. She fired a, a staffer or asked for the staffer's resignation. She's not telling us who that person is. You're running a campaign as well. Um, I don't like hypothetical questions, but, 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 but what do you think Senator Heitkamp ought to do? What would you do in this situation? What, what should she do next? Well, one thing I would do that she hasn't done, and maybe this sounds self-serving, but um, I'm happy that she hasn't done it. I would have taken my ads down for a couple of days. When you have surrendered by your own hand the moral high ground on an issue, frankly, that requires moral high ground, if you're going to, if you're going to you know, do what she's doing, you can't be running these these. Ads are like fingernails scratching a chalkboard, attacking someone else, and in many cases, uh, you know, dishonestly, I might add. Well, um, I, don't, I don't know that that's self-serving yeah. for you, Kevin. I think that just looks bad for her right now. That, that, that's what it, I guess my, my point was, what would I do? That's what I, that's what I would have done. Yeah. You know, the apology to her, I guess you've got to do it. I do think I'd make it less about myself, however. She she keeps wanting to be sorry, but then talks about what a bad day she's had. And this it, It's a very clumsy, but Rob, I have said this. She's been overrated so many times in her ability to communicate empathy. She rambles and she talks in circles, and you don't know really what happened, how it happened, whose fault it was. Um, she has a spokesperson out there telling, saying that these women that are complaining are idiots. Um, it's it's very very clumsy to say the least. And uh, anyway, I, I find no joy in it. I will tell you that it's. To see people victimized like this, and, and some victims re-victimized, uh, to see this blind political ambition played out at the expense of, of hurting people is very difficult to watch. And frankly, getting the phone calls we've gotten has been, it's been hard, to, to say the least. Anyway, it'll be a good when this chapter's behind us. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Let's get to the phones. Denny, you're up first. Yeah, good morning, uh, or good afternoon, it's me and Kevin, whatever. Um, Kevin, uh, since uh, the president has taken office, the national debt has gone up $1,628,000,000,000. We are told by the president and tre uh, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin and Budget Director Mick Mulvaney that the tax cuts would pay for themselves and also pay down on the national debt. Um, they would also do this while increasing defense spending and vowing not to increase or cut Social Security or Medicare. Okay, uh, this you know this year's uh, deficit is going to be 800 billion. Next year it's going to be a trillion, and that's going to add 80 billion dollars a year annually just to the interest on the national debt. My question to you, Kevin, uh, you say you're a co-sponsor of a balanced budget amendment. Well, I'm going to give you the <laughs> balanced budget amendment right now, and I'm also going to throw in the line item veto. I know there's 534 other members of Congress, but I would like to know how you would balance the budget, and I. I have ideas of my own. I sure. give to you if you want to listen sure. to them. Sure, sure. No, appreciate the question. You you referenced a, a number of important things. First of all, the, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act has already has already generated more revenue than we've ever had in the country. So I, I think it's pretty clear that the discretionary revenue, in particularly in particular, is not the problem here. You touched on multiple things that the, the president said he wants to do, and the one area that I have disagreed with him on, I've disagreed with him on some other areas, but the, of the things that you talked about, he has pledged not to deal with Social Security and Medicare. I think that's a mistake. 
Medicare goes insolvent in eight years. Social Security is insolvent eight years after that. And at that point, they'll be forced cuts in benefits. Now, Social Security at the current rate would you know, still generate about 75% of, of the outflow, but that leaves 25%. I think we have to deal with those things. Re- remembering that right now, 70% of the, dis- of the budget is non-discretionary. So you talked about defense. Um, defense is about half of that 30%. But 70% is the mandatory side of the ledger. So we have to be dealing with things like l- looking at possibilities of raising the cap, for example, that Medicare or that Social Security um, taxes are collected on, um, raising the age, you know, in the out years, doing nothing to, to cut any benefits for people currently on, on Social Security or, or, or soon to be on Social Security. I think we can deal with it on the revenue side. But, but that is the biggest challenge to balancing the budget. The reason I like a balanced budget amendment, too, to, to your point, is we need to institutionalize we, the discipline it requires. And as long as it's not institutionalized, as long as it's not constitutional to require a balanced budget, you're always going to see deal-making being done by the 535 members of Congress and the president, and it makes it makes it difficult to uh, to force that discipline. Caller, Tom, you're on. Okay, well, I guess you didn't quite answer the total thing of the last caller. For the, why is the budget so much in deficit for the first place? Why do you need to cut uh, everything from Social Security safety nets in the first place? Is because you've already overspent money into the military. But on the other hand, here's the other question I have for him. Now, uh, as will you look at things, the way thing with, with, uh, with the, the Washington, uh, Washington Post reporter, Kishagi, um, how would you, how do you feel the way the president has handled this affair when it, we already have now actual uh, views, uh, uh, audios of the man being cut to pieces while he was still alive, that the president is still denying the fact the man was killed. Let's, let's sure. let the congressman answer. Thanks, Tom. Thanks. So on, on, the, on the first question first, um, because the national debt, the largest driver of the deficit is Social Security and Medicare, not because, of, because there's not enough money going in, um, to, to keep up with the money that's coming out. The military spending is not related to Social Security. That's the discretionary side of the budget. That's what the point I'm trying to make. So if we're going to deal with the debt in a significant way, now that doesn't mean we can't be dealing with the discretionary side as well, but we'll never get to balance if we don't help on the Social Security and Medicare side, not with benefits or benefit cuts or anything like that, but rather on the revenue side, and there's some simple ways we can do that um, if we get to work and start doing it rather than, than uh, just ignoring it every year. Okay, with regard to the situation in Saudi Arabia, the way that I believe the president's handling it is. Remember, the president oftentimes gets criticized for jumping the gun or for being too rash in, in, a, in, a, in a position. He's dealing with a very delicate diplomatic balance in the Middle East with an ally who's also the enemy of our enemies, who's been very important to us. There, there's no need for a rush to judgment. Even, even if we're 90% sure that what the Turks are saying is true, he doesn't gain or benefit anything by rushing to judgment. When, he, when all the information is in and when it's clear to the entire world and the proper process has gone, been gone through, 
I'm confident that Donald Trump will take the action that's necessary. Right now, he has the upper hand. Nothing that he does today is going to change the facts as they, they come out. So um, I think he's, he's being prudent. Um, not everybody is. And uh, um, some people have the luxury of not, of not being um, judicious in this, but he does not. So I'm confident he'll make the right decision when it's time to make it. Uh, caller, Dana, you're on. What's up? Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Hi, Dana. Uh, Congressman Kramer, I got a, an idea I wanted to share with you, and then I want your opinion about it. Sure. I'm going to walk through it so you understand my train of thought. All right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, on uh, the military, I brought this up before about, you know, them buying all their uh, food products from U.S. farmers. Yes. My theory on that is they deserve the best, safest food they could possibly get, and that would be ours. Yes. And the money is already in their budget, you know, to, to cover this expense. So you'd be helping the farmers with prices on the grain, and you'd be helping the military with the, the security of good food. Mm-hmm. And Trump has got the authority, if someone like you would come to him and push for this, that he could pass it with a snap of his fingers. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were there for him, mm-hmm. so I think he'd probably agree with us if he hears it out. You can let him listen to the show. Okay, let's and you and I, I, let me pledge side, this. Let me pledge this. First of all. I will bring up. it up to him. I'll bring it up to him the next time I talk to him about it. I promise. Oh. Oh, oh, I, well, I'm sorry. I may have jumped the gun there. I thought he was okay. done. I, I'm so, that was my fault, Dana. I apologize. We jumped the gun there a little bit. Um, I tell you what, let's, let's keep moving. 701 Email talk at WDAY.com. That was my fault. Uh, Steve emails. He asks, uh, can you ask Kramer why he was running? Because he initially said he was not going to run, that his family was more important. That's his question. Sure. So, very good question, because when we analyzed everything, looked at all the opportunities, I felt strongly that Senator Heitkamp would be beaten by another Republican from North Dakota, and that uh, I could continue to serve in the House of Representatives, uh, serving my state, my country, that it would be certainly be an easier campaign on my family and, and all of us. But then when the president came to me and a number of uh, members of the Senate, uh, particularly leadership in the Senate, and then more importantly, when a whole bunch of North Dakotans came to me and, and said, well, in the case of North Dakotans, they said, we cannot tolerate Heidi Heitkamp in another term. Her high five of Chuck Schumer in celebration of, of um, not repealing late-term abortion, continuing the support of late-term abortions was just a bridge too far for so many North Dakotans. They wanted us to put our best foot forward. They appealed to my family and me saying, you're the best foot. Uh, with regard to the president, he came to me and said, Kevin, it's, it comes down to this. If you run, we win. If we don't, we probably won't win. Stop thinking about yourself and start thinking more about your country. That's literally what he said to me. And at that point, Chris and I and our family, frankly, said um, we have to make this sacrifice for our country. It's our country is worth worth what we're going to have to put up with to to win this Senate seat, and we're putting up with it right now, Rob. And and uh, we've never regretted it, even with all the the attacks and, and whatnot, the personal attacks on on Chris, my kids, and me. Uh, caller Tim, you're on. What's up? Um, yes, um, I was reading that uh, the average average congressman has to raise about $40,000 a week in order to be reelected, and that they spend a good amount of their time after their work on Congress during the day at night just soliciting donors from both parties. And I think, I think most voters are really sick of the money in politics and the special interests controlling everything. Um, and I think we're all sick of political commercials. I'd like to know what, 
like uh, what uh, Congressman Kramer would do about that, if anything. Sure. So, uh, first of all, um, confirm what you're saying about the the time that's spent raising money for you know, politicians, both incumbents and challengers. It takes a lot of time to do it. It takes a lot of time away from your personal time and your family, for sure. Um, I don't know whether it's $40,000 a week average or not. It, it, it's, that seems high, but um, who knows? It, it's a large number at any rate. Uh, one of the things I would like to see done, frankly, is I don't think you can put, I don't think you can put like caps on the total amount spent or anything like that because, you know, money is a First Amendment right. Money is an expression of your political support for somebody. What I do think is we ought to increase the transparency, which for candidates, federal candidates, is very transparent. As Rob knows, any contribution, aggregate or otherwise, individual that's over $200 is reported. Um, but it's the outside groups that have a lot of anonymous money that's contributed. And I would just soon raise the individual cap to the, to the candidates themselves, increase the transparency, because I believe transparency is the backstop to corruption. And then, you know, then sort of let the chips fall where they may. That way the voters themselves have all the information in front of them to make a decision on their on the, the uh, races based on all of the information. And at that point, I think money becomes less important. But I will tell you this. I'm running in a race right now where I'm being outspent. Probably on TV in the next three weeks, I'm probably being outspent five to one. And I'm out to prove that, that uh, hard work beats Chuck Schumer's money. And so um, maybe maybe we'll make a statement in this uh, campaign and this election that uh, that speaks to your point. We got about two minutes left, so Bob, last question, got to be quick. Hi, I'll uh, be looking forward to voting for you, uh, Congressman Kramer. One thing is, judges is very important to me. So I want you to get in the Senate and confirm judges that follow the Constitution. And real quick, the waters of the U.S. What's the status? And that has to be eliminated for farmers. Yes. Thank you. Yep. Thanks, It'll be eliminated in rule for sure. We want to do it um, through legislation. I've introduced legislation. We've passed many pieces in the House. It's never passed the Senate. But the good news is we have a repeal of the, of the waters of the U.S. in the Farm Bill. It came out of the House Bill. Um, so it's in the Conference Committee now. If you know any Democratic senators on the, on the Farm Bill uh, Ag Committee or on the uh, Farm Bill Conference Committee, make sure they talk to Debbie Stabenow. Make sure Heidi Heitkamp talks to Debbie Stabenow and shows her influence over this and make sure that wires of the U.S. repeal remains in the final version of the Farm Bill, because I know that Donald Trump will sign it. Uh, Kevin, thanks for your time. Thanks, Rob. Always a pleasure. Bye-bye. It's Congressman Kevin Kramer. Uh, we're going to uh, take a break. We'll come right back, wrap the show up after this. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Port, wrapping the show up. Jay Thomas, show straight ahead. You're going to want to stay tuned for that. Scott emails. He goes, uh, oh, we're talking about the uh, – somebody had asked if, if Senator Heitkamp could just use her campaign money to, to pay off. Or, or I, I guess to give money to the women who her campaign, uh, well, frankly, victimized by exposing them. Um, emailer says, Rob, sometimes we agree on issues, but when you want no limitations or any rules for money in politics, you can't say it would be unethical for Heidi to pay off a person in a political ad with political money. Uh, and no objections to a governor getting 50K for a football game. Good show. P.S. You can't go wrong with ACDC for bumper music. Agree on ACDC. Um, he, he is right. I am for pretty much zero restrictions on political money. Um, I don't, I, what I was saying is I don't know that it would be illegal under current FEC law. I wasn't telling you what my preference would be. My preference is basically I want political money to be transparent. 
but I don't want it to be restricted because I think political spending is speech. Now, if you give your money to a candidate, I think generally they ought to be able to spend it how they want. I think they should have to disclose how they spend it, and we can all ju- you know evaluate how they're spending it. Um, but what I was saying previously is I think under current FEC law, I think that might be illegal. And the law now, irregardless of whatever I or anybody else may wish it to be. Uh, let's see. More emails. That was a question for Kramer. Uh, oh, uh, Brian asks, goes, Rob, can you elaborate, elaborate on measure one a little more, please? I, I would direct you. It's, 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 it's law. It's a long measure. It's pretty complicated. Uh, I would direct you to the Secretary of State's website where you can read the full language, but essentially it does a few things. It creates an ethics commission of political appointees that would have a tremendous amount of power to initiate investigations and, and, you know, basically, that whole process that we see happen in other states that I'm not necessarily sure is really all that conducive to ethics or transparency. Um, it would create some trans, you know, expanded transparency requirements, most of which are frankly already in existing law. Uh, and also it would put in place new reporting requirements for anybody in any medium who spends more than $200 trying to influence an election or public policy or the government or whatever. Um, if you spend more than $200, you would have to file reports with the government. But I would I would recommend go to the Secretary of State's website, Brad. Read it. Read it for yourself. It's it's worth getting uh, up to speed on it. That's it for me today. Like I said, the Jay Thomas Show straight ahead. You can always catch me here 12 to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday on 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM, 24 hours a day, seven days a week at SayAnythingBlog.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.